Welcome back to Movies and Magic. We took a brief pause for Halloween, and now I have a sweet headache the likes of which this country has never seen before. It's fascinating, Doctor. It seems the bones have been replaced with cola bottles. And spine? It's just a load of wine gum stacked one on top of the other. Good God. Give me 50 cc's of carrot juice. Stack. Uh, I don't feel so good. <laughs> going to cover so many bases this week. In fact, I think the show's packed to bursting. Excuse me, son. That's my toe you're stepping on. Oh, sorry. Let's start as we do every week, hearing from a kid who loves movies. Hi, I'm Molly. I'm eight and I live in England. Wait, actually, no, I'm nine. <laughs> the film I've seen most recently is probably Descendants. There is an island prison, home to the most infamous villains that have ever lived. It's where the descendants of Jafar the Wicked Queen, Cruella de Vil and Maleficent get a chance to go to Oridan, where all the good guys live. You four have been chosen to go to a different school. Oridan Prep. What? People get captured and then more people like daughter of Ursula, son of Hook, son of Gaston come in. It's sort of like, you can be anything you want to be anywhere. I don't do uniforms. Prissy pink princesses. They allow dogs. You are not going to see me start doing curtsy. Sometimes I wish I'm both, because it looks quite fun being a baddie. My perfect way to watch a film is eat popcorn and sit on a beanbag and then drink ice drinks. The film I've watched over and over again would be Harry Potter. My favourite of the Harry Potter films is The Order of the Phoenix because it's where all of the good wizards come together. The Order of the Phoenix is battling the Death Eaters and it's really cool because all you can see are these flashes of light. Even though you watch it over and over again, you can't, you still can't get over the fact that something really surprised you or that it was so good, you just can't resist. Those are some excellent choices. And I think the impact they've had on Molly will last. Some films that have kids as their audience seem to arrive and disappear almost as quickly. Movies that pop into the cinema, we see their posters on buses and then they pop out again. No one really remembers them, but they're a fine past the time. What most filmmakers are after, though, is something that'll really last for a long time. A film that becomes a classic. And Shaz's film this week is just that. This week we're going to talk about a film called Babe from 1995, which is based on a book called The Sheep Pig by Dick Kingsmith. I'd always encourage people to try to read the book before they see the film, if you can, because I just think it's a way more interesting way to experience things. Babe is about a little pig who goes to live on a farm and learns to be a sheepdog. It's actually quite a special little film because it was quite the early days of CGI animation. So you see a little pig, it's not an animated pig, it's a real pig. It was 48 pigs used making this because they grow very fast. But its mouth kind of moves, but it's, um, we hear a lovely little voice. Oh dear me. Oh dear you. And so all the animals talk. The farmer can't hear them talk. So the, the human beings can't hear them talk. But they talk to each other. Stop, stop, stop. 
Basic story is that uh, this farmer, Farmer Hoggett, who is a big farmer, has loads of animals, uh, wins a little piglet in a, in a fair and he doesn't really know what to do with the piglet and the piglet comes to live on the farm and uh, because it doesn't have a mammy or daddy, kind of gets adopted by Fly, who's a sheepdog and she kind of takes a liking to him and raises Babe with all of her pups and then over time, the farmer seems to figure out that this pig is kind of special and notices him doing very dog-like things and it turns out he's very good at herding sheep because he's quite polite and he doesn't go about it in an aggressive way and the sheep really respond to that because they're sick of dogs barking at them. Oh, beautifully done. I can't tell you how grateful I am to y'all. Babe is one of those weird little films that uh, came out and then the whole world absolutely fell in love with it and it got nominated for Oscars. And James Cromwell, who's a very, very serious actor, plays Farmer Hoggett and was, I believe, nominated for an Oscar for playing Farmer Hoggett, which is just, when you look back on a film like this, you're like, wow, it's such an accomplishment for a weird little film about talking pig to get to that calibre. And like children's films don't often get recognised in that way by awards. And I just think it's really, it's really lovely that this film broke out. Well, it's up to him. And I think the reason it's so universal is that like social hierarchy is a thing, whether it's on the farm or in your school or at home or whatever it is. Like this pig has to learn to kind of break out of what's expected of him. And what's expected of him is basically to be eaten for dinner. Oh, come on. Humans don't eat cats. Why? Well, they're, they're indispensable. They catch mice. And he, he just learns a skill and... Away to me, pig. You know, everybody over time has to accept that this pig can do more than people expected of him. And it's very funny and it's very sweet. And like you could watch this at a very young age, like from four onwards, I think it's kind of ideal. Four to ten is probably the the ideal age for this one. Shh, it's Babe. I would describe Babe as clever, cute and funny. You can watch Babe on Amazon and on Apple and you can rent it on Google Play as well. That little pig. That'll do. Thanks, Sha. I wonder how many vegetarians became vegetarian because of Babe. I bet a friend when I was 11 that I could go a month without eating a burger, and I never looked back. Warning, gambling even when it leads to vegetarianism is bad, okay? Check this movie out. There's no way Babe could have been made without practical effects. Like Charlene said, they worked with real pigs and used CGI to generate the mouth movements. There are very few movies for kids made today that don't use computer-generated imagery to conjure up worlds unimaginable. But whether it be the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars or the incredible explosions and car crashes we see in Mission Impossible, using real things in front of the camera makes all the difference for the actors and the audience. So strap on your safety goggles. Could get a bit dangerous as we enter the world of practical effects. My name is Brendan Bourne and I'm Special Effects Supervisor with Film Effects Ireland. Together with my brother Aidan, we've been running the company since 1996, approximately. My name's Aidan Bourne and I'm a Special Effects Supervisor with my brother Brendan here in Film Effects Ireland. Ever since we've been children, we were just interested in how things worked. We would probably get more fun taking the toys apart when we were children to see how they worked inside, what was in them. We were told by our parents we got more fun making things up out of the boxes they came in than the toy. So we had a natural instinct to find out how things work and see can we invent stuff. We are a physical effects company. That means what we do 
is in camera and it happens in camera. The opposite of that is visual effects and visual effects is put in in post-production. So it doesn't necessarily have to be there on the day. Special effects usually has a lot of mechanical effects from even wind like some of the big wind machines we have are 350 horsepower V8 engines driving. So you have to take that engine, put a propeller on it, build a whole thing and make a wind machine. Rain is also mechanical effects where you have to erect rain towers and the water is sprayed out from the top of the tower. So there's a lot of mechanics in special effects. So we do everything in atmospheric effects from wind, rain, explosions, fire, mist, smoke. It's endless. We've built a, a number of tanks on the back of a quad and we inject the smoke fluid into the exhaust manifold which heats it to around 320 degrees at which point it vaporises and comes out the exhaust pipe. It's used uh, for really wide shots that could be a half a mile wide and you could fly across the field in the quad on a calm day leaving a massive trail of smoke behind you and you get out of shot and the smoke settles and they roll. So there the bread and butter of what we do. Before we even start on a film, that film could be a couple of years in development and that just means getting the finances together to make it. So when we become involved, we actually get a script. That's the first thing. So we'll read the script, mark the script for all the effects, mark it again in case we've missed anything. Hopefully at that stage we've been given a storyboard so we know the visuals that the director wants. So when we finish marking the script, we will sit down with the director and with the DOP and discuss what they need. And when that's all resolved, we then sit down and budget to make sure that they can afford to do what they have in the script. I think it's totally boundless. No matter what they ask, then your head goes into gear. And you start trying to work out, how am I going to do this? They see it in their storyboard and they have visualised it in their head. And they've no idea how it's going to be done. So that falls to us. And then it's Airhead that has the problem. It doesn't matter what it is, we look forward to the challenge. I can't remember anything that we didn't achieve. In camera, what you see on the monitor is what you have. So it's real. It can be more cost effective, not always. From our point of view, we can repeat effects over and over again for the same cost. It also gives actors and actresses something to react to. So for instance, if we have a green room and there's just an actor standing in it and they say to him, the room is on fire. You won't get the same reaction from him as you will if we go in and put that room on fire. So it's completely different from a visual point and from what we get from our apps. I like making explosions. We've done quite a lot of explosions on Badlands, some rather large. We had a set built which was approximately 150 feet long and 50 feet high. We had to blow it up completely and we only had one take because it was too big a job to put it back together again. And that was a big, big bang. Well, what we do is we make sure that the set is built out of materials which are soft, and any materials which are not soft, we will designate where the safe area will be for both people and crew and cameras. In that scene, there's a lot of people involved, and obviously they can't be there. So what we do is we do the real explosion, and the VFX company then take that, and they've already done another shot with that building with the people in front of it, maybe on wires being pulled away. And they combine the two elements together. So now you really believe all these people were in the middle of that explosion. We worked on a movie called Rain of Fire. And that was pretty cool, especially if you're a kid, because it's about dragons. The thing they asked us to do was create the dragon's fire. And we worked with a Canadian special effects company. We made a machine 
that generated the dragon's fire in real time. So we took liquid propane and actually pressurized it to fire it like water from a fireman's hose and ignite it. It is dangerous if you don't plan, but touch wood, we in 30 years have never had an accident. You have to be able to tell people what they can and cannot do, the limitations, where they can stand, where it's safe to stand, and they have to follow your instructions. The first film we really cut our teeth on was Braveheart. That was a pretty nice film to work on. We did a, a film with Neil Jordan called Breakfast on Pluto. Had to blow up a car in the main street in Kilkenny. And the scene was a child walks up to the car, and when he's about six feet from it, the car explodes. Now, they replaced the child, obviously, with a stunt child, which is a small stunt man. And it was complicated, too, because Neil wanted the car to go maybe 10 feet in the air as it exploded. So with someone so close to it, the mechanics in that were two things, both an explosion and a pneumatic rig to fire the car into the air. The explosion is purely visual, so it had nothing to do with the car going skywards. It's purely a mechanical rig that did that. We worked on a film about two years ago, Superside. So this is a retirement home for superheroes. So one of the things we were asked to do when it came in the script was they're having a birthday party and one of the superheroes sneezes. But they sneeze so violently that their false teeth come out and go straight through the birthday cake and end up in somebody's lap that's sitting on the other side of the birthday cake. And we looked at it and went, well, here's a challenge. But we did it. We built a rig that would have a very small wire and we got false teeth and we built a special way of having the teeth go down the wire, through the cake and end up in somebody's lap. (coughs) You need the ability to be able to join your head to your hands. So the ability to make stuff, to be able to see the thing you want to make in your head and have an idea how you want to make it. And then it just becomes curiosity how far can I go how much can I make what can I do and I think if you have that plus some sort of mechanical aptitude you're well on your way to being special effects guy it's unlikely any of us are about to make a huge budget so explosions CGI and film sets can cost millions of euro but that's no reason not to start experimenting with what you can do with a camera sometimes you just get started And TikTok's the way a lot of people are taking their first step into movie making. Even though you do need to be 13 to join TikTok officially. I'm Will and I'm 10. I like making TikToks because it's like when you re-watch it, you might be like, oh, I want to edit this. And you can like change it and edit it. And you can actually act like what you want to do. And you don't need other people because you can be other people and play. I think we should make films because if you're not that confident in yourself, you're quite shy, you can just express your feelings by just making what you want to do. Well, another kid who spent a lot of time thinking about the kind of films they want to make and how to keep making them better is Sean Tracy. It's week five of our movie making tips. What's next, Sean? I know I said before that you can use any camera to tell your story, and that is true. Most cameras will let you tell a story well, because the story is at the centre of every good film. 
But if you want to go beyond the camera phone, it's a huge minefield and it can be really hard to make sense of. So from my perspective, there are four different types of cameras. First, you've got the cinema cameras, for example, the Ari Alexa or the Red Dragon. These cameras are used all over Hollywood in some of your favorite films. The unfortunate thing about these cameras is they just cost so much money. In fact, some filmmakers even rent them instead of buying them when they're producing their films. Some of these cameras can cost up to 100,000 euro, and that's without lenses included. Who has that money lying in their back pocket? Hi, I'm Tony Moneybags, and I'm interested in putting some totally legit monies into your movie. Then you've got digital SLRs, and these are the cameras that I use most often. These cameras are made by brands such as Sony or Canon, etc. These cameras are a lot cheaper than cinema cameras, and hence I like to use them all the time. Then you have point-and-shoot cameras or camcorders, and these are the cameras that I started off my filmmaking with. They usually cost between 100 euro and 500 euro in comparison to DSLRs, which usually cost more than a thousand. They do not need a lens, and they are very easy to set up, which is why most people start off using them. So, move left in the frame. No, 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 you're other left. Finally, you have phone cameras, which is what a lot of YouTubers would be using now for their YouTube videos. On certain camera phones now, you have incredible tools, such as extreme slow motion or incredibly fast autofocus. With the app Filmic Pro, you have access to even more traditional camera tools, which we'll be looking at now. One term often used in cinema is exposure, and this is basically how bright or dark your image is. On a cinema camera or on a DSLR, you can change the exposure by adjusting the aperture or the focal length. However, on a phone, you can usually change the exposure by simply holding down on the screen. When this happens, a sun icon will appear, and you can drag the sun icon up or down based on whether or not you want to make your image brighter or darker. Hey, we'll turn the lights off. Eddie, is that you? You would change your exposure based on the environment you're filming in. Say, for example, if you're filming in a dark room, you're going to try and make that exposure very bright. But if you're filming outside and it's already very bright, you probably want to bring that exposure down a little bit. You also have a term called focus, which refers to what is blurry and what is sharp in your shot. You focus on whatever you want your audience to look at. Today, I'm your primary focus. Capture my beauty. On a phone, you can change the focus by tapping on different parts of the image. If you tap a part of the image that is close to the camera, then the background will go a little bit blurry and the close part will be very sharp. Those are the basic camera features accessible on a phone, but there are so many more to look at when looking at higher end cameras. So your challenge this week is to experiment with whatever camera you have. Try moving your camera closer to your subject or further away. Does the background get blurrier or does it get sharper? Or does the part closer to the camera get blurrier or sharper? Try to adjust the focus based on what part of the image you want your audience to focus on. If you've been following the show and want to get involved, either by sending us your ideas for movies, your reviews, or even a pitch for a film that should exist, get in touch. Email junior at rt.ie. One thing that we haven't talked about and something it's really important to consider is what does movie making do to the environment? I'm someone who's watched films week in, week out, but until recently I hadn't thought about this at all. I know lots of you will be a part of green schools, so these things matter to you. Well, as part of another podcast I make... Shameless blog alert! Ecolation is available wherever you get your podcasts! Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> as I was saying, movies have an impact beyond our memories of them, so perhaps we should ask more questions. Hi, my name's Graham, and I work for Viridian Vault, and we take care of greening the Irish film and broadcast and animation industry. Our overall carbon footprint, the amount of waste that we have, uh, is something that's 
weighing down on us as, a, as people and that we know that we're producing a lot of waste so and we and we do it at home in terms of recycling and and, and everything else and when you get into business of of you know making tv programs and and cartoons and things like that there is a lot of waste the main areas that i've looked at is the bulky materials the sets you know what makes the production happen is 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 the environment that they're in so you create a lot it's a very creative space so you need to build a lot of of, of your sets and then your energy you know your lighting your heat for for your set and the fuel that you use hello i'm rose canella and i'm the industry sustainability manager for albert Albert is an altruist project owned by BAFTA, run from the industry for the industries. Our main goals are to eliminate completely the carbon footprint of the media industry and the waste of the media industry. And our second goal is to introduce sustainable living on the editorial content of programs. As a country, you know, we, we're, we're definitely focusing on it more. As an industry, we, we do realise that we create a lot of waste. But um, I think every, every person that I spoke to within the industry is, is very welcome to any support that they need in how to reduce the, the carbon footprint. And not only that, um, it's a busy, busy place to work. So sometimes people don't have enough time to, to be focused on, on how to deal with their waste appropriately. So that's where I come in to try and help find a solution to some of the, the waste streams that they have. Our main impacts as an industry are travel and the energy that we use mainly. So making one hour long of a nature program equals around 60 tons of CO2. So that would be the same as releasing 3.5 million balloons full of CO2 into the atmosphere. In terms of figures, a lot of these companies will actually produce a number for their carbon footprint. So that relates to tons of carbon. So in, in general... Uh, one hour of TV is the same usage as 3.2 houses. So if you're at home heating, electricity and things like that, so for a year, three houses for a year equates to one hour of Game of Thrones. So that's your footprint. It's, it's quite large when you think of it, and there's a lot of things that go on in the background, and there's a lot of people involved. So I believe uh, lots of the kids now, they watch films on the tablets when they are in their car, but we're not really aware of the carbon impact and the environmental impact of that, which is pretty high. So I would recommend that maybe when you are in the car, maybe we can play games, we can sing songs, we can read books, and then we can just watch that film all together on TV when we go home. There's a lot of things involved with, with different themes and genres like like Marvel let's say and how you watch it is probably a great way of, of dealing with it so if you watch something on Wi-Fi it's a lot more green than watching it directly on your phone if you're out and about using your data that might sound a bit technical but if you're at home on your Wi-Fi it's actually a lot less environmentally impactful if you watch it at home on your Wi-Fi so that's one way of thinking of it apart from that it's just how much you watch I suppose as well the more you consume an hour of TV equals you know uh, three households worth of energy for a year so you could you could always focus on the amount of time you spend watching uh, your, your favorite films i'm hopeful of the film industry making changes especially because i know all the younger generations all the kids are really concerned about their future what's ahead to them and they are the next filmmakers so probably they're going to do it better than we did in the past i reckon the next generation of filmmakers will do loads of things better pitch me a movie in three Two, one. My name is Mia and I am nine. I wish there was a film where some animals went to the vet and they could escape 
But in the end, they found a nice vet, not an evil vet, <laughs> that takes them to a nice loving home. The main character would be a dog, a cockapoo, which is black and white, and that is called Roxy. Hi, I'm Roxy. The dog is just mine. The bad guy would probably be a vet there's laser eyes. It can cut through anything except for bone. Well, they just get angry and they start shooting at you. If the owner isn't nice, he does it to humans as well. You need humans. But only gently to humans, mostly to animals. Oh, sorry, oh, I didn't hurt you. The bad guy tries to fool people who own the animals so they don't suspect anything weird is going on or a gruesome plan is plotting in their head. Roxy is going to be fine. No, she didn't need a brain after all. They try to make sure they don't know anything about their pet getting injured or hurt. Keep giving her the pills. I think this one's for 10 plus. Whew, been all over the shop today. Tell me about it. I only wanted to lift to the shops. Oh, Granny, I forgot you were there with all the social distancing screens I fitted in the studio. It's nearly time for me tablets. Right, okay, I'll, I'll finish up. With a couple of movies to set to record on readily available TV this week. On Saturday, the big, big movie on RT1, 635, Shrek 2. That rare feat, a sequel that's as good as the original. If you have Comedy Central, you can see where the new Jumanji series started with the 1995 original starring Robin Williams. That's at 5 o'clock on Saturday. Run! It's a stampede! It's a game! And lastly, 2.10, Sunday on UTV is the unbelievable Emma Thompson in Nanny McPhee and the Big Bang. Her brilliant almost tribute to a slightly more famous nanny-based movie. Where are we? We're in the land of poo. <laughs> Duck poo, cow poo, goat poo. No! I just want to go home! <laughs> and that's it. About time. Ah, Granny, nap time for you. Don't you tell me what to do. I was watching pictures before you were... Before your mummy was... Leading ages ago. I know. Ah, uh, you wouldn't know a movie if it gave you a box in the jaw. Granny! <laughs> <laughs>